Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I have the least amount of faith in the Eagles than anybody else in the playoff field. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am your host, Dave Hellman. And what? You thought because the regular season ended, we're going to dial it back? Absolutely not. This is the most jam-packed time of the year. The playoffs are set. We're with you all through January for all of the playoff madness. Also, it's the busiest time of year in the hiring cycle. Head coaching hires about to fire up into high gear, which we'll get to in a minute. We're with you all the way to the Super Bowl. So much content to get to on and off the field for the next month. All leading up to Super Bowl 58, please go find us on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you look for your NFL news, we will be with you regularly, four times a week for the next month. We got all the goods starting today. We're going to start to look toward wildcard weekend. I actually, I want to talk to our buddy, Fox Sports NFC East writer, Ralph Facchiano, about all the craziness in that division with the Cowboys stealing the division on the last day. What on earth is wrong with the Philadelphia Eagles as they try to snap out of their losing streak just in time for the playoffs? Going to get to all that. I'm going to talk plenty of football. I've got a playoff power rankings coming. All of that to get to. But as we promised on the Monday show, we spent that day recapping the games in week 18, looking ahead to the playoffs. We're going to start today with the other side of this, which is that, yes, the coaching carousel is kicking into high gear. We mentioned it already on Sunday night. The Atlanta Falcons announced that they are moving on from Arthur Smith. Monday, the next news in the hiring cycle comes. Ron Rivera is out in Washington. So that is the two latest vacancies. I believe we're up to five in the NFL now. And just an educated guess, we might not be done, but let's go with the ones that are official starting Sunday night. Falcons owner Arthur Blank makes the call to fire head coach Arthur Smith after three years in Atlanta. Falcons, a trendy team for a lot of that time, an exciting team, a lot of offensive firepower, whether it's Drake London, whether it's Bajan Robinson this year, a lot of intrigue. And yet, in none of the three years under Arthur Smith's leadership did the Falcons finish above 500, actually going 7-10 and 10 in all three seasons. Bummer of a stat from my buddy Mike Rothstein over at ESPN. He mentions that at no point in Arthur Smith's tenure did the Falcons ever win more than two games in a row. There's a lot of stuff you can talk to when you lose 10 games three years in a row. But I think for me... This decision comes down to the quarterback position, the Falcons. I'm not even going to say their inability to address it, their unwillingness to really address it, in my opinion, because famously the Falcons rolled into this season. They had a small idea of what to expect from third round pick Desmond Ritter. 
They signed Taylor Heineke, who's had flashes in the NFL, but never gave you a, a great indicator that he was a guy that you could build around. They rolled into this season with those two without seemingly trying to do anything else. They, they famously weren't interested in Lamar Jackson. They famously drafted Bijan Robinson in the top 10. Maybe they'd like to reconsider that decision-making. It's irrelevant now. For whatever flaws you can come up with, that's, that's where I look when I consider the Atlanta Falcons just not good enough, not consistent enough quarterback play, sinking a team that honestly otherwise gives you a lot to be excited about. The offensive talent speaks for itself. The offensive line solid. The defense has been surprisingly good. General manager Terry Fontenot building that up over the last couple of years. But this is what I go back to. The last month of the season, the Falcons go one and three. They turn the ball over nine times in those three losses, six of them come directly from the quarterback position, Desmond Ritter having a tendency to make the exact wrong decision at the exact wrong time. Cost them big time in an embarrassing loss to Carolina. Taylor Heineke throws three interceptions in a bad loss to the Chicago Bears a couple weeks ago. And yes, Desmond Ritter comes in in the season finale against New Orleans and turns the ball over twice in the second half. Just wasn't good enough. You can second guess a million things, but when you consider the way the Falcons were content to stand pat on that position, this is what you get. And I can't say it's overly surprising. We'll see what Arthur Blank wants to do moving forward. This is actually a pretty intriguing team because I guess the optimistic way of looking at it is they're a solid quarterback away from being a pretty damn good team. Look at what their division rival, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, did with a solid year from Baker Mayfield and the difference that that made. The, pessimist, the pessimistic view is, well, maybe this was an, a wasted opportunity to take advantage of a weak schedule and a weak division. Interested to see where Arthur Blank goes, again, with a team that still has Bijan, still has Drake London, still has Kyle Pitts. Reason for optimism, if you can figure out the quarterback, they do have a top 10 pick in the draft. Seems a little low to get one of the real deal difference makers, but maybe you could trade up. Maybe you hope one of those guys falls. Maybe the Falcons are players in the veteran quarterback market, but after what we saw in Atlanta this year, that's where it begins and ends for me is what do the Falcons do about quarterback? We'll see. Monday morning, Ron Rivera became the next name added to the vacancy list. He is out in Washington after four years. With all due respect to him, this is about the least surprising coaching decision you're ever going to hear. Rivera was on the hot seat entering the season. Remember, Washington is under new ownership. Josh Harris and his ownership group took over in D.C. this past year. Rivera had already been there for three years. The commanders had already struggled to get wins for three years. You figure a new ownership group, unless Ron Rivera and, and the young quarterback Sam Howell blow everybody's socks off, you kind of figure something like this is going to happen. Commanders did fight to a 500 record through the first half of the year. They were four and five after nine games, and then they never won another one. They lost their last nine in a row to finish this thing out. Like I said, it, it always felt like a matter of when, not if. Rivera made the playoffs in his first year during the COVID season in 2020, albeit that was with a losing record. He actually never finished above 500 in the time that he was the head coach. So this feels like the logical conclusion to this era. Now, what's interesting, Josh Harris, new owner with a basketball background, 
made some waves with how things are going to move going forward on Monday morning. He announced two interesting names are going to help him make the hires moving into this new era. Former Golden State Warriors general manager Bob Myers and former Minnesota Vikings general manager Rick Spielman are going to serve as advisors and and football ops decision makers to help Josh Harris and, and the commander's ownership group find not just a new head coach, but a new head of football operations. So we've seen this a few times over the years where football teams will use guys with experience in different sports, be it baseball, be it basketball. So big name in, in getting Bob Myers, who enjoyed so much success with the Golden State Warriors. We'll see where that goes. But the, the benefit of the commanders losing nine straight is they do hold the number two overall pick in the NFL draft. So this immediately becomes a very appealing head coaching opening just because you're going to have a shot at a franchise changing talent. Maybe offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy will factor into that. He was in his first year there. I have a feeling the commanders are going to cast a very wide net, but it sounds like that's just beginning. When you're when you're hiring a committee of, of very experienced executives to oversee this, I think they're probably going to look in a lot of different directions. So to summarize, like I said, there are currently five head coaching openings. Remember, the, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Carolina Panthers, and the L.A. Chargers, they all fired their coaches during the season. Things got so bad that they didn't want to wait. The Falcons and Commanders have now made those moves after the conclusion of the regular season. That's five. Hard to say for sure. Like I said, I just my educated guess is that there's a couple more dominoes left in the mix. We speculated all season about Bill Belichick, a woeful season in New England. There's a lot of smoke, a lot of reports that he won't be back with the Patriots. But as we're recording here on Monday evening, no news coming out of Foxborough. So that's something to watch. I also think, think it's interesting. The Athletics' Diana Russini reported Monday that Titans players are still waiting to hear word about Mike Vrabel's future in Tennessee. Titans finished 6-11. They did get a big, fun upset over Jacksonville to end the season, but still a very forgettable year in Tennessee. Given Vrabel's history as a Patriots legend, maybe those things are related. Maybe it's not a coincidence that we haven't heard an update from either team, but that's reckless speculation on my part. It is fun, though. It's fun to try to connect those dots when you're talking about a guy who's accomplished what Vrabes did in New England. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. I'd also point out, given the disappointing nature of Chicago's finish in Green Bay, a lot of angst coming out of Chicago about not just Justin Fields, but second-year Bears head coach Matt Eberflus. No word as of Monday night, but that's for the the negative as well as the positive. Until there's some sort of confirmation, I think people are going to speculate one way or the other. So, Those three spots are also ones that I'd monitor as we move on through the week. We'll keep you updated as we get more. They're not head coaching related, but several other news items pertaining to hirings and firings happening this week. For starters, Panthers owner David Tepper completes the clean sweep. He fired head coach Frank Reich during the season. With the regular season concluded, he also fires general manager Scott Fitterer. Fitterer had a 14-37 and record since he took control of personnel decisions. I would note Fitterer 
was the guy that selected Bryce Young with the number one overall pick. But depending on what you read, what you listen to, perhaps Tepper had a lot of influence over that decision. I wonder what the dynamics of that were. Yes, Scott, thank you for helping me make the pick that I wanted, but now you have to go. I don't know. That is the fun and the intrigue and the cloak and dagger of NFL front office decision-making. Sure, Fitterer will at least be well compensated for no longer being in the job. Some other, some assistant coaching decisions also happening on Monday. Giants head coach Brian Dable is safe after a disappointing second season, but there's going to be massive turnover on his coaching staff. Monday, the Giants announced that they're firing special teams coordinator Thomas McGahee, as well as offensive line coach Bobby Johnson. Then a few hours later, after some uncertainty, veteran defensive coordinator Wink Martindale also resigns. Wink notably very famous for being the blitz happiest, one of the most creative defensive coordinators in the NFL. I would imagine his services are going to be in demand even after a disappointing season, but not technically fired. He opts to part ways with the Giants coaching staff. And one last bit of news Monday evening, the Jacksonville Jaguars announcing their cleaning house on the defensive side of the football they fire defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell and his staff. Pretty understandable. A lot of reasons for the Jags collapse over the last six games of the season, but their overachieving defense slowly turned into a very underachieving defense in the final month of the season. Never was that more obvious than in week 18, the last game of the year. Couldn't have been fun for Doug Peterson to watch Derrick Henry average 8.1 yards per carry. Tennessee ran for 175 yards on the Jaguars. I have a feeling more than just that game. These were, these were compounding issues, particularly tackling and run defense. It's something that's been mentioned in Jacksonville a lot, but it's just a nice cherry on the Sunday that led Doug Peterson to this decision. So we'll see who Jacksonville taps to move to coach their defense moving forward. All right. As of now, as of Monday evening, that covers all of the coaching news, updates, tidbits. We'll obviously keep an eye on that as we move forward. But let's make sure we give some shine to the teams that are still playing football in the postseason. Let's start the week in one of the four divisions that came down to the final day, the NFC East. We talked yesterday about the Dallas Cowboys winning the division in style up in Washington. We'll touch on that with my guy, Ralph Vacchiano, NFC East reporter for FoxSports.com. But also, we are going to touch on the perplexing Philadelphia Eagles. All right, Ralph, I'm going to apologize in advance to the division champion Dallas Cowboys. I, I like to start with the winners and the teams that are on top. But we know what's going on with Dallas. What we don't know and what I'm hoping you can shed some light on is what the hell is going on in Philadelphia as this team tries to salvage something out of this season? Yeah, that's a really good question. But I bet if you went back to the very first time that I came on this podcast and talked about the Philadelphia Eagles, I probably sounded some alarms that seemed ridiculous because look, they started 10 and one and nobody wanted to hear about they can't run the ball consistently. They have weird play choices. They can't tackle on defense. Uh, you know, and sometimes it looks like Jalen Hurts is a little off. Nobody wanted to hear that early in the season, but it has clearly caught up to them, especially their defensive problems. I think they can sneak by with their offensive talent when they've got their whole team out there, which might be a little iffy for the first playoff game, but if they can get everybody out there, they, they, they still can move the ball and score, but 
on defense right now. They cannot stop anybody. Um, their tackling has been terrible all season. Now their scheme is a mess. I don't know exactly what they did when they demoted Sean Desai and promoted Matt Patricia to not the defensive coordinator, but still the play caller or whatever his title is. But things have gotten actually worse since then, and they don't look like they're playing with any confidence at all. So I don't know why it's like that. I just know that this is probably going to take an offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles to probably figure it out. I'm probably simplifying too much, but like when you watch the Eagles now, since Patricia took over for Sean Desai, it almost looks like Patricia just brought out his playbook from Detroit or even New England and was like, this is what we do now. And the Eagles players are like, what the hell are you talking about, man? This isn't what we've done all year. Like, I'm like I said, surely that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but Look, everybody in the NFL is dealing with injuries, is dealing with not having guys at this time of year. But like you said, like, surely there's enough there on the defensive side of the ball that you can do a better job of putting the players that you do have in position to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll give you a couple of examples. This is going to be nitpicking these examples, but, you know, they don't they either don't blitz a lot or don't effectively blitz a lot. And last year, the thing that made that Eagles defense really um, just horrible for opposing offenses to deal with was the fact that they got 70 sacks. They were a team that really got a lot of pressure. They don't get a lot of pressure this year. And as a result, you know, they're not blitzing to help themselves out. You look at things like Hassan Reddick, uh, their best pass rusher, dropping into coverage more often than he's done in the past, which seems like an interesting choice. And again, I don't want to just pick out one thing and make it seem like that's the big issue, but you put that together with, you know, Jordan Davis is not having a good year. He was supposed to be the guy that was going to help replace Javon Hargrave. Uh, Jalen Carter has disappeared down the stretch. That's another guy who was expected to get a lot of pressure, not doing it as much as he did early on. And when they can't get the pressure, all of a sudden, all of their injuries in the secondary, no Darius Slay, uh, you know, James Bradbury playing like he's you know, suddenly 45 years old. Uh, you know, Justin Evans at safety. Uh, so many injuries back there. It's all exposed because they can't get pressure on the quarterback, which is what they were supposed to be best at doing. Okay. I, I want to take it back. And I, I agree with you, like from the very beginning of the season, like all the way back to the new England game in the season opener, some of these issues have reared their head. And like all year long, even when the Eagles were winning games, you were saying, yeah, shouldn't it look better than this though? But I would contend the difference between that team then and what's happening now is like as ugly as it might've been, I feel like the Eagles still knew how to finish games. Like I remember going all the way back to the win against the Rams. They just put their head down and they were willing to just run the ball, do whatever it took, you know, whether, you know, let's, let's get a 12 play 80 yard field goal drive and let's get the hell out of here. Style points be damned. And these last few weeks, it doesn't even seem like they're capable of doing that. Like even even knowing that it hasn't always been pretty, does it does it whether it's a loss of confidence or whether it's getting away from what works? Do you feel like there was some kind of shift there? Oh, I do, and I think that you know that was the thing that kept everybody from panicking early, right? It was this feeling that and I'm sure we talked about this that as bad as the Eagles looked every game, there was a moment where they said, you know what, we're the defending NFC champs. This is what we do. Let's go win this game, and whether it was you know, running the ball and just taking the wind out of the sails of the opposing team or big stops on defense, like that second half of the their win in Kansas City when the defense really rose up. Somehow, some way, 
somebody would make a play. And now suddenly they can't do it. And they still have the same weapons. That offensive line still really good. Suddenly they either aren't trying to run the ball as well as much as they had, or they're not running it as well as they had. A.J. Brown, who's dominant for you know most of the first half of the season, has suddenly disappeared. Jalen Hurts you know, seems to be making the wrong decisions when he used to make all the right decisions. We've already talked about the defense. I think for whatever reason, there has come a moment where they, they were always relying on themselves to come up with that moment where they would make the big play. And now that they can't, I do think there's a confidence hit. I think the the words we've heard the last six weeks, you know, we've got to stick together. We've got to play to our standard. We'll find a way to fix it. We know what kind of team we are. They all ring hollow now. And and really, would if I were an Eagles fan, I remember the Eagles, I'd be really worried heading into the playoffs because if they hadn't stopped the slide yet, what makes anybody think that all of a sudden they're going to wake up this week and go, oh, well, it's the playoffs. We can, we can fix it now. I, I think that team, the body language, the – the things you're hearing out of that locker room is all alarming. It looks like they've just lost their their confidence and their feeling of invincibility. Can I interest you in my tinfoil hat Eagles homer theory? Sure. Okay. And th- this is, if I'm a blindly optimistic Eagles fan, this is what I came up with. Jalen Hurts dealing with an injury to his throwing hand, injured his finger in that game against the Giants. A.J. Brown dealing with a knee injury. Sounds like both should be available against the Giants, but if I'm an Eagles fan, I almost I find myself hoping that those injuries force Philly into the most conservative, run-heavy game plan you've ever seen in your life. And against Tampa Bay, that might actually work. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that uh, that's necessarily the way they would want to get to the obvious conclusion that they should run the ball. But whatever gets them there, that, and we've talked about this all year long too, that is what the Eagles do best. As good as A.J. Brown is, as good as Jalen Hurts is, they are a run-first team. They're at their best when they just maul opponents up front, run like crazy. Jalen Hurts runs the RPOs, the play actions, and nobody knows whether he's going to keep the ball, hand the ball off to somebody, or roll out and throw. That's not what this offense is. That, for whatever reason, Brian Johnson has not made that a focal point. He likes deep throws. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely taken more shots down the field at weirder times than in the past. He doesn't like to rely on that run strength when he knows the Eagles need to put together a drive or knows they need to pick up a couple of yards, except for their their you know one yard tush push plays. But that, to me, is the best-case scenario. They go in and they say, we're going to run the ball 55 60% of the time. We're going to you know, roll out Jalen Hurts and make people think we're going to run, and then he's going to throw. That's what the Eagles' offense is. And if they go conservative, and it looks like they go conservative early in the game, that might be a sign that they've kind of wisened up and uh, you know might be able to maybe get that offense back on track. Just take it back to the old days, at least for a week, and see where that gets yep. you Okay, one last thing on the Eagles, and I, I'm going to ask you to prognosticate a little bit, and I apologize, but assuming okay. assuming they can't pull out of this nosedive, I mean, it's easy to imagine there's going to be change. I mean, there's already been a D coordinator change. Easy to imagine a change on the offensive coordinator. If they go out as badly as it looks right now, is that enough? Like, should should we be prepared for, like, a surprise head coaching change? Like, how much angst do you think there is really in Philadelphia? Well, 
I don't think Nick Sirianni will be in trouble one year after he is had taken this team to the Super Bowl. I don't necessarily think he should be, but this organization, you know, Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, they are usually more proactive than reactive. I don't know that they would wait to see how bad things got before they made a change. And I think if they go one and done in the playoffs and they look at the last two months, they obviously think they have a team that should be competing for the Super Bowl. And they will look at it as an absolute failure. And they'll take a hard look at, you know, what has really got A.J. Brown looking so down and so beaten. All those rumblings about locker room instability and people unhappy with the coordinators. How much truth was there to that? And I think, you know, I guess I could I put the way I put it was I wouldn't say Nick Sirianni is in trouble, but you can convince me that he might be if they lose this first round game. I could see where they're going to take, you know, a really, really hard look at everything and might decide, you know what, we have the team, but maybe we don't have the coach. I, I, I just couldn't possibly rule that out if they lose. Even with how much they struggled at times in September, October, whatever. Uh, it's, it's wild to think that this is where we are after the way the season started. Okay. Yeah. Let's now we can turn our attention to the team that actually won the NFC East, which I guess this is, yeah, yeah, right. Oh yeah. Hey, by the way, yes. Cowboy fans. We know, we know, and we're very impressed. The Cowboys win the division in style. And I feel like I, every, every, every few weeks you join me on the show and we're both either sky high about this team or we're, we're down in the dumps a little bit. And so now it feels like we're on the upturn. What has, has your opinion about the Cowboys changed at all? Cause I find myself even through the lows and the highs, it's going to take more than that to change my opinion. And for the same way, even though I picked the Eagles to win the division now it's, it's, it's all about doing what you were supposed to, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the the Cowboys, I know that they just beat up on a bad commander's team in the finale, but, you know, they didn't squeak out a win. They beat up on a bad team, exactly what good teams are supposed to do. They finished strong. Uh, you know, I know they had a you know, little iffy end of the game against the Lions the week before, but that's still a good Lions team, and they beat them, and that's all that matters in the end. They played the Dolphins well. Uh, you know, they played reasonably well down the stretch. So, I think that uh, I've always said this, that I think they're built to be a true Super Bowl contender. I do worry about them still on the road. Um, I think it is an immense advantage for them to win the NFC East and get the second seed and the first playoff game and possibly two at home is huge. Um, You know, talk to me, even if they win these two games, if they have to go into San Francisco for the NFC championship, I don't know that I would still be as high on them doing that. I, it's one of those things where I need to see them actually win a big game on the road to really believe they can do it. But I know they're capable of it. Um, but yeah, to me, I, I, my opinion changed once they won the NFC East because getting those two games at home gives them a chance to feel really good about themselves, to win a couple of games, to get on a bit of a roll right at the right time. And anytime you can get one game away from the Super Bowl, you're in good good shape. So if they can get to that point, obviously that's great. Um, and I think there's a good chance that they will. I, I think they're that good. Um, and the home field advantage gives them that much of an advantage. I think that's what gives me pause is I, I agree with everything you just said. And if this isn't the team that at least breaks the drought of playing an NFC, NFC title game, knowing that you don't have to go on the road until that game potentially, or maybe you don't have to at all, depending on, on what the Niners do. I mean, I wouldn't expect San Francisco to slip up, but you never know. 
And maybe it's just 10 years of being embedded with the Cowboys that makes me nervous that really I just I can't think of an excuse. You've beaten the teams already that are in your way. You've proven that you're at a higher higher caliber. And now it's just about delivering on on that expectation, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're they will look at it as an incredible failure if they don't win two playoff games at home and get to the NFC championship. Um, and they should. Think of the teams they would have to play. They should, they're much better than this Green Bay team. There's no way at home um, that they shouldn't win this going away. And then after that, any of the teams that they would face and possibly face, including the Philadelphia Eagles, they are much better at, at much better than and would have a huge advantage at in their home stadium. So, um, you know, they'll be second guessing a lot if they don't get themselves to the NFC Championship game. You know, I don't know how much trouble Mike McCarthy might be in. If that's the case, if they don't get there, despite his stellar regular season record and, uh, you know, getting into the division championship this year, they're they're going to have to question a lot because they, they've been saying it all year. They believe they're a Super Bowl caliber team. I think they're right. I think every ingredient you can name they have. I'd like to see a little bit more of a running game, um, but I think the capability is there. And certainly they've got the elite quarterback, the elite defense. Um, yeah, so there's no excuse. Unless, barring an untimely injury or something to a key player. I, I don't know how they don't get themselves to the NFC championship game. And they'll be, if they don't, they'll be asking that themselves, themselves that question all off season long. I'm glad you brought up the lack of a running game. And I mean, they, they did run the ball fairly well against Washington. I'm not sure how much of an indicator that is of anything, but I want to make sure. And you and I have, we've chatted there at several times this season about, Dak Prescott through the the ups and the downs and it struck me this week I know you know they they lost in Buffalo it didn't look great they lost at the gun in Miami but it struck me over the last few weeks just how much Dak Prescott is doing right now and how little help he's had along the way I don't know that he's I I think it's probably too late for Dak to re-enter the MVP picture. I think Lamar Jackson sewed that up on Christmas night. But this is this is the best ball of Dak Prescott's career. I mean, is is he playing at a level where, I mean, between him and C.D. Lamb, is that enough to give the Cowboys what they haven't had at various other times in these big postseason matchups? Well, first of all, I do think that this is the best I've seen Dak Prescott play. And I think that, he is playing as well as or better than every quarterback in the NFL. I see him more than Lamar Jackson. I know Lamar Jackson is playing great as well. Um, they might be one, two right now in the NFL. And I think that, you know, Prescott, the, the MVP race is so much based on, it's like everything else in the NFL. It's based on emotion and week to week swings. And he was up and then he swung away. And could he swing back into it? I don't know. Probably not because Lamar Jackson finished well. But, you know, if I had a vote, I'd have to think about it. I'd have to really give some consideration to Dak Prescott because he's been that good. Um, is he and CD Lamb enough by themselves to get uh, the Cowboys to the Super Bowl? Certainly they could. They are that elite. They're that dynamic of a duo. I mean, if you're telling me that Prescott's going to throw for 350 yards and CD Lamb's going to catch you know, 15 passes for 200, I could see that happening. I would feel much better though. And I think they would too, if they could develop other options, I want to see, you know, they have good, good weapons, more consistent play out of Brandon cooks. You know, they, I think they have a terrific receiving tight end of Jake Ferguson, use him more often. And again, if they could get that running game going, it would open up so much. If teams had to respect that a little bit more, especially 
uh, when they need the tough yards, they just know it's not there. And behind a good offensive line, you would think it should be, but they struggle so much to pick up, a, you know, those tough yards consistently to, to generate a running game. They can really do what the Eagles used to do, generate those long drives. It's always on Dak Prescott's shoulders. So if teams know that and elite defenses know it, it will make it a lot easier. So yeah, could he do it? Sure. Um, it would be a big help to them if they could find somebody else to take some of the load off his shoulders. It's it's so unfair, but more than pretty much any team, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be judged by what happens now. You know, like the, the 12 wins yeah. is great. Three straight 12 win seasons, won the division two out of the last three years. It's all very impressive, but that's the world the Cowboys occupy is that it's all going to come down to right now. And I'm, I'm beside myself with excitement for this Cowboys Packers game, Ralph. I can't wait to catch up with you about that. Not to mention Eagles Buccaneers. We'll be sure to check in with you about it until then, man. I really appreciate the time. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Getting ready to take on spring. Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we wanted to separate coaching news from player news, but there are several items worth getting to regarding players that are still playing in the postseason. So let's run down the list, several injury situations that are going to be worth monitoring and none bigger than what we saw in Detroit with Lions tight end Sam Laporta. Remember, the Lions played their starters in a game where they had very little to gain. Laporta goes down, looked like it could be the worst. He was carted off. Such a phenomenal rookie season. And it sounds like, all things considered, pretty good news for Sam Laporta. They're saying he suffered a hyperextended knee and a bone bruise with that injury. Dan Campbell said he has an outside chance to play this weekend against the LA Rams. So I'm not going to pencil him into the lineup just yet. But like I said, when you're carted off the field, it's a pretty good indicator that you're going to miss some time. So the fact that Laporta even has a chance to continue his phenomenal first year I'll chalk that up as a win, wishing for the best for him, hoping he's on the field just because you want to see the best play in the big moments. And Sam Laporta is already on the short list of best players at the tight end position in the entire NFL. Speaking of best players at their position in the entire NFL, another scary one. Saw TJ Watt going through it when he clipped his knee against Baltimore on Saturday. He has a grade two MCL sprain. Steelers, it's, it's the time of year. You're not going to get a straight answer from anybody about prognosis and, and playing time schedules. Grade two MCL sprain. I find it hard to believe that TJ Watt will be able to suit up against Buffalo. Maybe if the Steelers find a way to pull the upset, he can play later in the playoffs. But at the same time, it's TJ freaking Watt. He was fighting to go back onto the field in that game against Baltimore if there's any way he can play, he's going to find a way to do it. So as per usual, something to keep an eye on as the week goes along. Another thing to get to, Gabe Davis, Sunday night in Miami. The Bills get a big win, but he suffered a PCL sprain. That's a knee ligament. Say it with me one more time. The Bills not 
giving a whole lot of detail about what that means. He hasn't been ruled out of the game against the Steelers. At the very least, it sounds like if the Bills advance, he could have a shot to play. That's if he doesn't play against Pittsburgh. So just just set a notification on your phone for all these guys. I have a feeling it's going to be weekend slash game time decisions for all of them. Gabe Davis, people can say whatever they want about how boomer bust he is. I don't need to remind you what he's done for the Bills in the playoffs in recent years. Having that big playability could be big, big for Buffalo. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I mentioned some of this when we were talking to Ralph a little while ago. Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown both dealing with injuries. Negative x-rays on the finger on Jalen Hurts' throwing hand. So that's obviously a good sign. But it is on your throwing hand. So taking it day by day, I get it. I, there, there's no way he doesn't play. There's just no way. It's the playoffs. That's how this stuff goes. I think you can say the same thing for A.J. Brown with his knee. Unfortunately for the Eagles, one injury that it doesn't look, there's not going to be any coming back from. Safety Sidney Brown believed to has torn his ACL in the loss to the Giants. So he's out for the rest of the playoffs and already desperate Philly defense loses another guy. So that's a tough blow. But as far as injury news goes, having Hertz and AJ Brown likely to be available that's at least a step in the right direction. I think that wraps it up, at least for injury news for players coming out of Week 18. That does it. We'll obviously have so much more to get to. Plenty of guys worth watching as Wild Card Weekend gets closer. Let's wrap up the show the way we always do. For one last week, at least, we can look at the NFL Power Rankings coming out of the regular season, wrapping up the 2023 season. Moving forward, maybe we'll, we'll just do a confidence ranking, ranking of the teams that are left in the playoffs. But if you're watching, here's the full board. Here is the final 32-team power ranking for the 2023 season. I am, as I have been doing, I'm going to choose to focus on the teams that are still playing. And actually, coincidentally enough, the top 14 teams are the playoff teams. I think that's only fair. If you made the postseason, you are by virtue better than everybody that's still playing. But there are, excuse me, you're better than everybody that's not playing anymore. But there's levels to this. So I'm going to go through the playoff field and assess how things stand before the wild card round starts. And we'll start at the very bottom, down two spots from last week. At number 14, it is the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they are the worst team in the playoff field right now. And maybe that sounds harsh because there's plenty of talent still there. They won 11 games. They were once 10 and one. It all feels like ancient history right now. They're one in five over the last six weeks. They're the only team in the playoff field that hasn't at least been playing 500 football since the start of December. Even teams above them without settled quarterback situations. Like the, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers, are playing better football in totality over the last six weeks than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's still time to fix it. You can go on the road and make yourselves feel a lot better against Tampa Bay, but based on what we've seen, I just don't see it. I have the least amount of faith in the Eagles than anybody else in the playoff field, not exaggerating. One spot above them, I jumped the Pittsburgh Steelers. Remember, the Steelers had a, a rough patch. They lost to the Cardinals and the Patriots back-to-back. -back. It was looking really ugly, but they rebounded nicely. I jumped them seven spots from last week up to 13th in the power rankings. No, the win against Baltimore was not. A, it wasn't pretty. The weather was disgusting, and B, Baltimore wasn't even playing all of its guys. 
But a 10-win season with the offensive issues that the Steelers have had is nothing to scoff at. And could you, can you not at least imagine, yes, the Steelers should lose to Buffalo, but the weather's going to be gross. Steelers like to play this grimy street fight style of football. I can imagine a world where Josh Allen gets a little too chaotic. This game gets a little too close. I can imagine it. Not saying it's likely, but the Steelers are suited for this style of football. I'm very intrigued to see if they can keep the good times rolling now that they've made the playoffs. Up at number nine, they haven't moved. The Kansas City Chiefs won a game that you'll never remember anything else about. They beat the Chargers by a point. They didn't play their starters. It's not deserving of a move up or a fall down. They sit right where they are. They're right inside the top 10. Nothing about their play recently suggests that they're magically going to turn it on, but it is still the Chiefs and it is still Patrick Mahomes. If there's anybody deserving the benefit of the doubt, it's these guys. They get to start it off at home at Arrowhead Stadium, not doubting them, not disrespecting them. I think this is a perfectly fair ranking for what we've seen over the second half of the season. I cannot wait to see if Patrick Mahomes really can mythically lift this team above what it's been in recent weeks. Just above them, I dropped the Miami Dolphins three spots to number eight. And here's the fun part. They get to settle it on the field. The number eight team and the number nine team facing off in the wild card round. And what sounds like is going to be like a zero degree game in Kansas City. Have fun with that, Dolphins. It's not even that the loss to the Bills was that ugly, but they had such a commanding lead in the AFC East. And to lose out the last couple games, drop the division, and now you go on the road against the reigning champs, it's just not, it's just not where you want it to be. And the questions about how well you can play against contenders remain unanswered. But hell of a way to win over the doubters is by knocking off the defending champs. We'll see if they can do it. Up from them, up at number seven, the LA Rams. I just, I want to take some time to give Sean McVay, Les Snead, Matthew Stafford. I get it's about what happens in the playoffs, but give the Rams some flowers. Very few people gave them a chance. They finished with double-digit wins. Good enough team that their backups could win a road game to get to 10 wins. I just don't know how many people saw that coming. There's so much exciting young talent on this team. There's Matthew Stafford. You still have Aaron Donald. You've got Hall of Fame caliber players that can help this young talent. So, so excited to see them play against the Detroit Lions. Never would have believed they would be in the top 10 of the power rankings at any point in the season, let alone at the end when it matters in the playoffs. So good on you, Rams. Up at number five, up a spot from last week. I do move the Dallas Cowboys back into the top five. A dominant win against Washington. They win the division. The road to the NFC Championship game, at least, is in Dallas. They get to play both playoff games at home, provided they take care of business. That's a big, big deal. I can't move them up too far because we know the teams that are above them, but it, it's all out in front of the Dallas Cowboys. So the five spot feels like a great spot for them as we see if they can keep the home magic going in the playoffs. And then up in front of them, you know the drill. I mean, Buffalo and San Francisco, they didn't play anybody this weekend. Why would you drop them out of their top spots? I moved the Bills into the three spot after they claimed the AFC East. Yes, even though they weren't secured a playoff spot until the final day of the season, I think the Bills are a team to beat in the AFC playoffs. We'll see if they can deliver on that potential and find some consistency. They're going to need to. 
have I mentioned that I can't wait for the playoffs? Have I mentioned we're not going to have to worry about all these rankings anymore, anytime soon? It's it's not going to be about that. It's going to be about what happens in these games. The field's going to get reduced in less than a week. I'll say it one more time. I can't wait. So that's how it stands right now. It's going to change very quickly. We're going to get into everything else on the way in a loaded wild card weekend. So many storylines to discuss, so many matchups to break down. And like I said, I have a feeling there's going to be plenty more news on the coaching front as well as whatever else might come our way. We will be here to take you through all of it all week, all month leading up to the Super Bowl. Stick with us. It's going to be so much fun. I will catch you all next time.